Welcome back to another episode of the Replacement Level Podcast. We have a new guest on the show. Obviously, Chris is here, but we have a new guest to welcome Alex Kilar, one of my old buddies from Primetime Sports Talk, huge Yankees fan. Alex, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much, Raphael, and it's good to be here and, you know, talking to another Yankees fan. Yeah, definitely going to be a fun one, Chris. Um, welcome back again. We obviously just had a pod a few days ago, but always glad to have you on the pod. Yeah, great to be here. Okay, fine. So let's great. Let's get right into it. Um, okay, first right off the bat, the New York Yankees sign one of the biggest pitchers on the market and the best pitcher that re- that remained on the market, Carlos Rodon, six years, one hundred sixty-two million dollars no full no trade clause it's past stats just to throw out a stat line 2.88 era 31 starts pitch a full season no health issues 237 k's which was third of the majors funny enough now the yankees had if Rodon would have been the yankees the yankees would have had two pitchers who landed in top five in strikeouts mm-hmm. um they had cole and now Rodon. so now our rotation is consisting of Garrett Cole, Carlswell Don, Nestor Cortez, Luis Severino, and Frankie Montas. Alex, what can get better than that? Yeah, it's it's probably going to be one of the best rotations in baseball. Um, you know, having Frankie Montas as the fifth starter is a great thing to have, especially I think he's going to bounce back from what he was after the trade deadline. I, I think he just had the – he had a little bit of a time to adjust. He kind of had an adjustment period with the going to the Yankees. You know, obviously all the health issues he's had in the past. I think with a full season in front of him and being in the back end of the rotation, the rotation that has this much juice to it is going to be good for him. I think he'll bounce back very well. And, uh, you know, having, like I said, fifth starter being Frankie Montas, who's been an eight, who's been an ace type of pitcher in the past, is going to be huge. You know, because the top three guys are – Three, four, even four guys are really good. So it's going to be really awesome to see what happens with this rotation. It's it's a rotation the Yankees probably one of the best they've ever had. Like I haven't seen a rotation the, the, for the Yankees this yeah. good since probably two thousand nine is the last time I saw a rotation this good for the Yankees. And like like you said, yeah, I, I I'm hoping that Montas will bounce back because as what we've seen in Oakland and what he did in Oakland. Before he came to the Yankees, he had a 3.18 ERA through 19 starts. So there's definitely we do, there we have seen what he's capable of, and there there's definitely some room for improvements, especially when it came to New York. But I do think that even like you mentioned that top four, I mean, primarily the top three, which is arguably the top best top three in baseball, and maybe the Yankees do have arguably the top, the best rotation in baseball. But even Montas, I think that's a great fifth option because obviously they lost Tyone. And even barring all injuries, I think this rotation is looking quite solid. And now you do have that Clark Schmidt and do have that Domingo Roman, which although they might not have a secure rotation spot, you do have their availability and they could be used as a you know, let's say one of them 
injuries come up or injuries interfere, there definitely could be that Clark Schmidt, Dominguez Harmon combination where now you have those extra two guys in the rotation who can attribute. Yeah, and even if you need somebody to, you know, get an extra day, then you can start you can put a put them in there as a spot starter, you know, as a sixth day. So it's definitely something something good to have, not have them be the fifth starter but be there in case of emergency, just leaving the bullpen to, until something comes up. Okay, so now that we discussed the Carlos Rodon signing, I think we missed this because me and Chris finished our podcast earlier this week and then just a few hours later, a day later, Carlos Correa Heads to the San Francisco Giants, 13 years, $350 million to San Francisco. Longest free agent deal in history. Actually tied, I think Bryce Harper may have been tied. And the fourth largest amount in MLB history. Can we just break this down for a minute? Chris. Good for the Giants. I mean, if you can't can't land Aaron Judge, why not go out and get arguably the best shortstop left on the market? So uh, the the curious move about all this, though, I think it's kind of get lost in the deal is that the Dodger, the uh, Giants had Brandon Crawford, who had been a pretty good shortstop for them in the past. So now that you get Correa, he's obviously going to be your starting shortstop. Does that mean Crawford is going to move over to second base? Or does that mean he moves over and plays third base? And the Giants did have J.D. Davis, who's playing third as well. So it just kind of creates some like questions about what their best infield alignment is going to be throughout the entire season. But for the Giants, good for them. It's a good piece that they can kind of build around. Hopefully, Correa can age well in into that deal because by the time it's all said and done, he's going to be 41 years old. And uh, that he's going to play the more than likely a, a pitcher's part in San Francisco. So it is, it's a good deal for them. So actually, I did see earlier today um, just going back to what you said about J.P. Crawford and the potential that he might move. He might, Brandon he might, Crawford. Sorry, uh, Brandon Crawford. Yeah, so not J.P., wrong guy. Um, so he actually did mention, I did see earlier that Crawford is interested in moving over, and I, I didn't see, it seems like he's willing to, and it's not, obviously he prefers to remain at shortstop, but I think it's, there's no issue if you would move, and I, I do think that obviously Correa will be employing shortstop, but it's just a matter of is Crawford is he is willing to, but is it just a matter of how he'll perform? But I do think that'll be an issue. Right. Yeah, I don't think it'll be an issue either. I think uh, he'll be fine playing third base. Um, he plays. I mean, he's played really good defense at short. I don't think third would be much of an issue. He has a pretty good arm, so I think that he'll, he'll be fine there at third. And. I even saw a potential maybe they would trade him, but I, I don't. I don't really see that. I think they need they need that guy. They need him there as a backup too, for sure. In case you know Correa's you know injury, you know he's had injuries in the past. So if anything comes up again with <clears throat> with injuries, we have that you know safety blanket for of Crawford to to fill in if needed. Yeah, and they got uh, Ty, uh, Estrada there who played short for him last year and played second as well too. Oh, yeah, that's right. <clears throat> All right. So, yeah, like like we said, you know, 
Crawford moving over wouldn't be such an issue. And now the Giants lineup has improved into another level. And now the Giants have been that market and been that and, and, and has really just emerged as that big market that's just looking to enhance their lineup constantly. Now they have that Carlos Correa, that piece they can build around and then the coming years now he'll until he's 41, he'll be a giant for life. And yeah. I think that was kind of vital to their organization that now they have that shortstop and they have that piece and they could build or build around it. They know that he'll be instilled in their organization for quite some time. Yeah. I think the important thing too, is there's no trade clause, no opt outs. Like then he's definitely going to be staying there. There's not going to he's going to be that piece. That's going to just remain there, which they haven't had in really in a while besides, you know, somebody like Crawford. He's been there a pretty, a pretty long time, but they haven't had that superstar piece in a long time. Not, haven't had that superstar piece probably since Bonds was there. Right. Yeah. Now, another interesting aspect, too, for them in looking at their their farm system is they did have Marco Luciano, who was their top short spot prospect, and it was more than likely thought of that he would be making his major league debut, debut sometime this year. What does that do with him at all in, in their plans going forward? Are they going to look to move him into the outfield or are they going to have him come up and be their everyday second baseman? Because, you know, right now it's looking like Estrada is probably going to be their opening day starter at second base. But at the same point in time, Estrada's shown that he can be a versatile piece. And with the way modern baseball is, it's very much a good thing to have a player who can be a utility or super utility player. So, you know, again, what are they planning to do with their top prospect in, in Luciano? Right. So I did, I have heard a lot about Luciano and especially his arm. And obviously he won't contend with Correa and Correa's fielding abilities are obviously outstanding, but depending on where Crawford moves, like you mentioned, Estrada is the current second baseman, but I don't think that moving Luciano or even putting him at third base where J.D. Davis uh, will become a free agent in a couple of years. So maybe moving the third base would be an option because he has that strong arm. So I don't think that there'll be much of a concern because maybe he'll be an even better short, short, shortstop if he moves to third. And, uh, I mean, he's expected to be called up in 2023, so this coming season he should be called up. But other than that, I, I don't see much concern with Correa being at short. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think my guess would be kind of just, again, looking at the Giants roster right now, I guess it would be if they call Luciano up, or when they call him up, he probably is going to play in the outfield. I mean, you're looking at Jock Peterson being out there, Mike Yastrzemski, and Luis Gonzalez, or Austin Slater, or Lamont Wade Jr. Although Wade is probably their opening day starter at first base unless the Giants decide to bring back Brandon Belt. But they could use a little bit of help out, out in the outfield, and I could see that being a spot where they, they move him. Yeah, and... Just to elaborate on kind of what I said before, now now the Giants line up, and although they do, they might need that, they do they they, they do they do need that that outfield help, and I think 
a guy like Andrew Benintendi, who I obviously want the Yankees to get, or even a guy like Michael Brantley, although he's older, because now their lineup is Tyro Estrada, Yastrzemski, Correa, Jack Peterson, Mitch Haniger, who was a big oh, yeah, addition, Mitch. Crawford, J.D. Davis, Lamont Wade, and Joey Barton. So they do I, – I one thing I happen to like about the Giants, they have that nice integration of young and veteran guys. They have those Joey Barts. They have those Tyro Stratos, who's obviously a little younger. Now they have Luciano, who's up and coming. And in terms of rotation-wise, I think obviously losing Rodon was a killer. But they, they still do have that firm rotation. I think that they're sitting on a very respected rotation, obviously with Logan Webb, with Alex Cobb, with Descalfani, Wood. The addition of Stripling was huge, and Jacob Junis. So aside from the loss of Rodon, I think that the, the Giants have done a solid job of adjusting and getting Correa, getting Haniger with – just adding a few more pieces and adding a few more components, I think the Giants are well ahead of schedule. And in a couple of years, with Luciano, with all the, with Bart being the prospect that everyone expects him to be, if he if he lives up to the potential, I think the Giants could be contenders in, in the years to come. Yeah, absolutely. And also with the rotation, they have uh, one of their their second prospects is Kyle Harrison, a left hander. Uh, he's at double A. He was at double A last year. He's expected to come up to the major leagues at some point this year. So he'll be uh, he'll be a key piece to the rotation as well. I don't think you'd be able to make some moves with him. So. Yeah, we'll see where that goes, and I'm just excited for the Giants because now you have, like I mentioned, you have that Correa, and just building off that. I think that gives him that peace of mind, like, hey, we have our, we have our organizational, we have our, our the, here's our team, and we have that guy who we can rely on, and we know that if we build on him, that it'll only get better. So I think one signing which kind of stood out to me, and I think it was a good move from the Dodgers. I think Noah Syndergaard. They, they clipped him to a one-year $13 million deal. Obviously, with that injury, he's, deal, he's dealt with injuries that's kind of impeded in the past couple of, the, of seasons. But we've seen the drop in his in his fastball drop by nearly four or five ticks. So I think that's definitely a concern. But we've seen what the Thor is capable of. And we've seen prime Thor. And again, he's not too old. He's still fairly young. He's 30, so he does have those four, five, six years to show what he's truly made of. And he wasn't too terrible in 2022, 3.94 ERA. He only made he made 25 starts, so about six, seven short of a full healthy year, only 95 strikeouts. So obviously we haven't seen that healthy Syndergaard in a couple of years, and I think that those injuries have kind of hampered his success. But I think it was a nice move by the Dodgers because now your their rotation is is full because now they have Kershaw and now they have Tony Gonsolin 
and they're going to have Bueller when he's back, Dustin May, and now Syndergaard could be your fifth starter. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Syndergaard, his stuff isn't what it used to be back when he was with the Mets and everything pre-injuries, but the, the Dodgers have shown that they're very good at building up or unlocking a some potential in the pitchers. I mean, look what Tyler Anderson did last year with them. He had one of the best, he had the best year of his career with them. And then you also look at Andrew Heaney, who, you know, unfortunately he couldn't stay healthy, but the times where he was healthy and, and pitching, like he was straight nasty and looked like an ace on there. So yes, I don't see why, why the Dodgers couldn't, you know, kind of re re uh, rebuild up and get Syndergaard back to his pre pre-injury days. Yeah, definitely. And I think like we were discussing that he hasn't been that Noah Syndergaard. He hasn't been that Thor dominance since really in his Mets days. But uh, I'm liking Noah Syndergaard. And although he hasn't proven what he's really capable of in the past two years, I do think that a healthy Noah Syndergaard is a is just a four three four star starter yeah yeah and, and if he's you know obviously not near the front of the rotation if he's a little bit further back in the rotation i think that will help him as well because they can kind of manage him a little bit better um so yeah it's all good i mean for, in his regard and you know just kind of looking at some of the the numbers that he did last year in terms of like his pitch usage and stuff he definitely you know one he came up with a slider which he didn't have last year and he threw that you know 22 percent of the time but he's still pretty much fastball heavy at 31 percent. that's still the, mo the pitch he uses the most he you know he still has um his sinker in there that he you know is probably his second most used pitch as well um but it's it, it's still the, the numbers in terms of where he's thrown are still right around where they were the year before, which is good because that means he's kept the, the velocity. It's definitely not what it used to be, again, back in peak peak days or anything like that. But it's still a good, you know, his fastball clocked in at 94 miles an hour last year, which is, you know, still okay. It's not great, but, um, you know, the rest of his pitches are still pretty good in there. And he, he's got that sinker that's right about the same, you know, it comes in at 93.6. So, it's a nice pitch that can kind of be deceptive where hitters are having to wonder if it's a fastball or the curveball because they're coming out you at the same the same speed. So it's it'll be good to see what the Dodgers can do to uh, to get um, Syndergaard back to his pre-injury levels or even just see what he can do for a full year. Maybe what we saw from him last year is what he's going to be moving forward, which is still a really good pitcher, but not that frontline starter that he used to be right and you know you look at too he after the trade to the Phillies he was able to get you know postseason experience you know make it to the World Series with them and obviously the Dodgers are going to be a team that makes it to the postseason so he'll have that experience behind him that now you know they can maybe depend on him if he has a good season to be a good piece for their their run in the 2023 uh, 2023 postseason so it's so I wanted just to read the this quote. Chris shared it with me earlier. Alex, I'm guessing you saw it from Passin. 
Let's just read this for a second. So in the case of the Mariners, I think it's been so long since they've been in the playoffs. I'm not saying that the little taste of the Mariners got this year's advice necessarily, but I'm suggesting that expectations may be a little outlandish right now, Passon said. It's easy to forget about the Julio contract, about the Oscar Hernandez trade, or about the Colton Wong trade. To focus on stuff like that, we haven't seen any free agents aside from Trevor got at this point. I think in the context of everything else, frankly, if you're complaining about the Mariners at this point, you're spoiled. That's the reality. You're spoiled and greedy right, right now. So I know, Chris, you were talking about this before the podcast, but I never really got your perspective being a, being a huge <coughs> Mariners fan. What does that mean when the biggest Twitter, I mean, tweeter <laughs> and, and baseball goes out and rips on your own pinstripes? So first, let me go. Let me go pick up my soapbox here that I can stand on because <laughs> I, I got issue with with him saying that. I'm sorry. The Mariners haven't been to the postseason in 21 years, and now that we went, or I should say, now that the Mariners went for the first time in 21 years, and the fan base is saying we want more. We want to go out. We want the organization to sign a. Aaron Judge. We want them to sign a Carlos Rodon. We want them to sign some of these big name players out there that are getting the big money to help bolster this roster. We haven't won a division in I don't know how long, but because we, the fans want the organization to spend money and to grab more players out there besides uh, what's his name, God, who we got in free agency, who has a career for something like 4-8 ERA. I don't get it. How, how, how is the fan base, how are the Mariners fan base spoiled when we, we don't even have a championship in, in their history? So how, how, are, how are they spoiled and greedy for wanting more and for wanting the Mariners to dethrone the Houston Astros and be the AL West champions, to have home field advantage in the playoffs, to make it beyond the ALCS, to make it to a World Series? I mean, the team's never been to the World Series like made an appearance, let alone even won one, and they're greedy. I I don't understand why you would say that that fan base is greedy. I get what he's saying about how the Mariners went out and they made a trade to get Colton Wong. They made a trade to get Teoscar Hernandez. They gave Julio Rodriguez and Luis Castillo big money extensions that are going to keep them around the organization for a long time, and it helps to be building blocks for that team. But Come on, man. Free agencies the whole time for teams to go out and spend money and to add talent to their rosters and get better. And the Mariners fan base is greedy for saying that they we want that when all we got is Trevor Gott. I don't buy that. I don't buy that. And that's I, I can't wait to hear see the reaction that Pass On gets from the fan base and to see what he says moving forward in regards to the Mariners. I mean, it's just I don't know. Part of me thinks it's something he said just to kind of get a reaction out of it and like uh, the total shock jock kind of a thing. I, I don't get it. Yeah, if you want to talk about spoiled fans, and I'm I'm one of the I'm not, I'm not spoiled, the but I'm not one of these spoiled fans <laughs> like the rest of my fan base, but Yankees fans are the most spoiled in the sport. Like every year the Yankees fans are clamoring like what the hell is Brian Cashman doing and all this, and now he goes out and signs Carlos Rodon, extends Aaron Judge, which everyone wanted, and everybody has to eat their words because literally every 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 offseason, Yankees fans want 
you know, the sun, the moon, the stars, every, they want to sign every single free agent on the market. They want Carlos Correa, Aaron Judge. They want Radon. They want the trade for Brian Reynolds. They want to trade for Mike Trout, Shohei Tani, and trade them for, like, freaking IKF. <laughs> don't, hey, don't forget about Fernando Tatis. Yeah, the Yankees fans were literally just going <laughs> earlier this week. One of the ESPN uh, hosts went on and said how he heard that the Yankees were checking in on Fernando Tatis Jr. Wow. Don't give me that garbage. There was n- and then the next day, Yankees fans are going on Twitter saying, "Oh, let's go, Tatis. Wh- who are you going to trade him for? Josh Donaldson and and then throw in Jason Dominguez. You think that you think the Padres are going to do that? I don't know. I I'm just. It's just like a shell shock that Jeff Passan would go out in front of millions of followers and users and say that Seattle Mariners fans are the ones who are greedy when all they've done was trade for a few upgrades and haven't even signed one of the free, one of the big market players such as Aaron Judge, Carlos Rodon, which the Yankees are signing, or the Mets, Kodai Senga, Justin Verlander. The, the what the Mariners are accomplishing is has no. Is not even close to up to par what other teams are doing. They're trading. They're simply following conventional baseball and trading and upgrading and doing what they need to fix the flaws in their in their uh, lineup. But <laughs> I think that's just not justifiable to say that the Mariners, out of all teams, who, like you mentioned, Chris, haven't won the division in a long time. I just don't think that it's justifiable to say that they're the greedy fans. I don't get it. I, here's the thing. I'll say this. I don't. I won't speak for all of the Mariners fans or anything like that. But for me, I don't need Pass On to come out and issue an apology tomorrow or anything, saying, "Hey, sorry guys, I didn't mean it" or anything like that. Just say I made a mistake and move on. Like, I, I don't care. I get it. You you messed up. It's whatever. It's not that big of a deal. But to call the fan base who a to call one of the few fan bases out there who's never won a World Series or even been to a World Series greedy because they finally broke their 21 year drought and they all they've signed is trevor got in free agency come on man you're better than that yeah jeff sorry to jump in again but jeff yeah jeff pass is just a snob like he's just he's like i like him in some cases but other times he just like he just acts like all up on his high horse like about some things yeah uh, listen he does a good job of giving us information and all that stuff but i think when it comes to this and it comes to just his perspective on fan bases and all the other stuff about baseball yeah. i think is especially that one time he took credit for that one story about uh the mets gm that like that whole thing about him uh you know sending pictures to to the girls and whatever God. like he took credit, he took credit for the oh story God. when it was a female that wrote it like like it's terrible. Oh, yeah. So the Mar- the last time the Mariners won the the West Division was in two thousand one. So twenty one years ago on that as well. Okay. So before we take us to another level and before we end up getting Jeff Passing kicked from Twitter, <laughs> <laughs> um, let's move on to the next topic. Let's move on to the more smaller deals but I, I i do want to speculate on them a little more a few <clears throat> deals trickled out in the past couple of days a few a few of them i want to zone in on a little bit 
one in specific was Scott McGo. I'm not sure if you guys have heard of him, but uh, it's kind of a funny story. So he was originally drafted by the Dodgers in 2011. Then he was traded to the Marlins with Nathan Navaldi in exchange for Henley Ramirez and Randy Chott. Then he spent a year with the Marlins. Then he was designated for assignment. Then he spent some time with the Rockies in the minor leagues until 2018, where he officially got waived. And then he headed to Tokyo until now, and now just signed a two-year deal with D-backs. So I'm not sure if you guys have heard him before. I'm sure he was one of those. He was drafted in the fifth round in 2011, so I don't think he got too much attention. But it's kind of a funny story to see someone who got drafted and spent some time in the minor leagues and then goes out and comes back five, six years later and is now at the age of 33 and is now getting a contract offer with a major league team and showing maybe he's improved. I mean, good, good for him. I mean, I hope he has that. You know, hope he has improved and gotten better. I mean, we we've seen pitchers and I mean players not be able to have success at the MLB level, go overseas, play, get better, and then come back and get some success. Eric Thames is one that comes to mind. Chris Flexen, of Mariners guy, is another one that comes to mind. So hopefully that can be the same thing with Magao and. We'll see. I mean, most likely he's, maybe he has a good year, has a little bit of time, but um, he may end up going back to where he's been before, which is not MLB-level talent. So I just pulled up his stat line with the Occult Swallows. So he spent four years with them, 2019-2022. So in 2019, he had a 3.15 RA, 3.91 in 2020, 2.52 in 2021, and 2.35 2022. So between those four years, his improvements were exponential. And I think that he's definitely improved as a player and as a, a pitcher. And he's a, he's, he's a reliever, so he definitely won't be starting. But maybe going to Tokyo helped him get on track. And maybe this kind of helped him make the right adjustment while it wasn't the right adjustment because it, it didn't have anything to do with the major leagues, but maybe getting that experience in Tokyo, which is obviously on a lower level than MLB, but maybe this is what will to turn him and mold him into a revered and solid reliever. Yeah. It's always interesting seeing those stories. Like you said, just, somebody that goes overseas and maybe fixes something and finds something new. Like, I don't know what his, his story is, but it, like if he found a different kind of pitch or uh, introduced something different because that maybe helped him get that contract, then, you know, the downbacks maybe notice something with different with him. So we'll see how it works out, but it's definitely something I'll follow. And I just, I did just notice too, he's from Monroeville, Pennsylvania. So I'm, I'm from PA. So it's, It'll be something I want to follow too. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, so, aside from this, this um, Scott McGo, which we just mentioned, there wasn't. There was two, three other deals, but nothing really stood out to me. Brad Boxberger, 
2.8 mil, and Omar Navais to the Mets. That was for 8 mil in 2023 for option in 2024. I think that the motive to signing Narvaez was that he's a lefty bat. So that kind of gives that nice mix with McNeil and Guillaume. And I think the Mets liked him because they saw that he's really evolved as a defensive catcher and he's an expert framer. And I think that lefty bat kind of addresses the catching situation with James McCann and Tomas Nito. So I think that kind of gives them that third option to alternate to. So I think that was kind of a, a nice move on Steve Cohn's side. And I think this might be beneficial for the Mets going forward. Yeah, I think Narvaez to the Mets is good. I think he's going to be more of their offensive catcher than than their defensive guy. I mean, he's definitely made strides behind the plate and everything, but he's he's definitely more known for being a hitting catcher versus a defensive catcher. Um, so it, it, I think him with Nito and McCann back there, that should be, they should be able to find some productivity. So the final topic before we head out is Scott Boras, who has invested so much time in his players and he has gotten a ton of money and he's really cashed out for his clients. Carlos Correa, 350 million. Bogarts, 280. Nimmo, 162. Rodon, 162. So that totals his, Boras says, Frasian total for 2022 to 2023 to 1.17 to 1.172 billion. I, love, I wow. want to be an agent. <laughs> Unless you... I don't think I would either because you have to push a ton and I'm sure there's a ton that entails in being an agent and getting as much money as you can out of teams. But again, it's you get some percentage out of it and I'm I don't know the exact conditions and everything, but I'm sure Boris is getting get a nice a, sum. You get a pretty amount of money. decent amount of it. Especially sure they much. do. But um it's kinda of funny. That's why he's the best in the in the business, and it's why you see players leave their current agents to go join his team because he gets them the money. And it's why owners and man, GMs of ball clubs yeah. hate working with him. Yeah, so I did I did hear about that. But again, if you're an agent such as Scott Boras, who pretty much represents the vast majority, not the vast majority, for a good percentage of baseball players, you're you're going to encounter teams and representatives who dislike you. And it's about to happen. But from what I've heard, yeah, he hasn't been the greatest negotiator. and But yeah. he does the job. So you got to give him that. Yeah, he's always just trying to get the most money out of out – of, uh out of the situation, you know, the, all the stuff about mystery teams, that's I'm probably pretty sure that's always him. That's always making that up. Like just to get, just to make someone, just make a team nervous, you know, enough, enough to put more money into it, which is, you know, it's a good tactic when, when you're trying to get as much money as you can to, for a player. 
Yeah, I, I definitely think that the way that these representatives and these, they go out and just kind of do their best to get the most money because they know that at the end of the day, teams and especially the higher market guys, teams will pretty much do anything to lure them in. So in the case of Aaron Judge, uh, sorry, mistaken, uh, Carlos Correa, obviously the Twins and the Giants were both in on him and the Giants ended up getting him, get winning that bid war. But I'm sure the Giants offered him a significant amount of money. And at the end of the day, Boris won that war with Ford Correa to head to the Giants. But I'm sure there was some conditions and I'm sure there was like a, hey, we, we know what you're capable of and I'm, and I'm going to try to get the, the most amount of money for you so you can go and show everyone what you're capable of and even getting that few extra million dollars can mean a lot. Yeah, and I know one of the uh, conditions with Boris is that he has to be present at the press conference mm -hmm. for his players, uh, which I know not every uh, president and GM of the ball club uh, no. wants to have that happen. So there are a few free agents and all of the big free agents have kind of been addressed and have been acquired or signed. But the last mar marquee shortstop remaining on this market is Dansby Swanson. And I saw earlier that the Red Sox have drawn interest, expressed interest in the one and only Dansby Swanson. And he is the final shortstop on this market and probably the biggest free agent left on the market. If you enter Benintendi, there's Avaldi, and there's a few other guys who stand out. But I'm excited to see where Danzy Swanson goes. Where where is he going, guys? I think it's going to end up being the Cubs. You know they they need a shortstop. They were I don't know if I don't think they were even ever in on Correa, which is really shocking to me. It seems like they're just kind of I don't know. They're just they really doesn't seem like they were interested in making moves. It seems like they're asleep, but. They did go out and sign uh, Brad Boxberger earlier today, which is obviously not that big of a move, but it does help their bullpen a little bit. You know, he's had some good seasons with the Rays, so maybe they'll find something there. But they definitely need to get an another piece. So, you know, I think Swanson would be huge for them. It, you know, obviously it would have been better for them to get one of the you know, bigger shortstops like Correa, um, but – or, or Trey Turner, but I, I think you know Swanson would be better than what they have right now currently, and he's definitely a solid, solid shortstop. So I, he's plays. I mean, obviously he's defensive first, um, but you know they haven't had a shortstop since they traded Javier Baez, and he's. I think Swanson's kind of a similar player to to Baez, maybe even better. Yeah, I, I would normally, I would initially say the Cubs too, but since you already said that, I'll go with somebody different, and I'll say he goes back to Atlanta. I say they come in and they, they, keep him, they retain him, they they get him to come back and be hey, we're the team you've only known, so just stay here. We've won a World Series with you. We've got a lot of talent 
around the ball club. Like, you might as well just come back home, play with us. I mean, if you look at the Braves roster, they could be – if you bring back Swanson, they could be a really good team again and win the NL East. And I don't see why they couldn't make a run at another World Series or anything. I mean, you've got uh, Matt Olson, You've got Ronald Acuna. You've got Michael Harris, who was Rookie of the Year. Austin Riley, who had a breakout season. You've got Ozzy Albies, who's a pretty good short or second baseman as well. You know, there's still – uh, Marcel Zuno is could be their DH, and then they've got Von Grissom, who showed he could play at the MLB level. I think he, he kind of faded a little bit as the season wore on, but I think some of that had to do with more the fact that his playing time kind of got uh, yo-yoed around a little bit. But, I mean, he could still play, and he could still fill in that short or at second for them. And then the rotation is still Max Reed, Charlie Morton, Spencer Strider, Kyle Wright, and then I think Jake Odorizzi. I'm not sure if he's still with them or not, but, I mean, they've got a good enough club that they could win the NL East again and be back in the playoffs. And that's what you play in for is to get to the playoffs and the win world series. So I'm going to have to side with Alex here. I do think that Swanson is going to head to Chicago because they've kind of been that team in the mix and in the pot for Swanson. And they do have a big enough market to sign him, and I think he's going to head to Chicago because in the case of the Giants, I think this is kind of the kind of a similar case because obviously the, the Giants are on a higher level than the Cubs, and obviously the Giants are going to win more games than the Cubs, but the Cubs as well are looking for that player, are looking for that player and that building block to build around, and getting Swanson, who had a breakout season, I think that could address that that need for that leader in the club. They do have a few young guys. Christopher Morel has, has emerged. Ian Happ had a breakout year. And now they signed Cody Bellinger. But getting a guy like Dansby Swanson at shortstop, I think that kind of addresses the leadership aspect. And I definitely think that Swanson will be playing for Chicago. So it seems that we've covered a good amount of ground tonight. There are a few free agents in specific I want to talk about before, actually just really just one free agent before we hit the end button to this podcast. So Michael Conforto, let's jump into Michael Conforto. Conforto is 29 lefty hitter did not play in 2022 due to a right shoulder surgery, but has been cleared by his doctors to join in 2023. So the White Sox, Nationals, Marlins, Rockies, and Rays are right now in the mix for Conforto. But I think, he can f- kind of fit anywhere because any team, such as the White Sox, such as the Nationals, the Marlins, Rockies, and Rays, who are smaller market teams, can use a guy like Michael Conforto, who has hit 25 home runs a season three times in his career and is turning 30 next year. But at the same time, he kind of is that guy who has developed 
that power, and he's kind of really evolved as a hitter and as as a very solid defender. So I think Conforto kind of fits well in that small market team, such as the Rockies and the teams that I mentioned. So I think that's kind of will her fit. Kind of wonder what you guys are thinking on this. Maybe a whole head to one of the bigger market teams. Yeah, I was even thinking, um, you know, it's I know they weren't a team that's in the mix, but if the Yankees can't get uh, Benintendi back, I would kind of like to see them fall back on him, on Conforto, because, you know, he's obviously played in New York, and he did pretty well for the Mets when he was healthy, so I wouldn't mind seeing him tr- try to find some of that again, you know, that tr- you know, it wouldn't be bad to, to take a flyer at him. You know, Brian Cashman always likes to kind of find those resurgence stories. So they kind of did that with, you know, uh, other guys they've signed in the past. So I, I wouldn't – I definitely don't think it would be a bad idea to do it. If, But, I mean, the first priority is Benintendi. But if they can't – like I said, if they can't sign him, then I, I would take a flyer on Conforto for a one- or two-year deal, something like that. Can you Yankees fans just stop being so greedy no. with everybody? I mean, come on, save save <laughs> save some players for us other greedy fan bases out there like the Mariners. Hey, we're trying um, to win a World Series here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I love Conforto to return to his hometown and be in Seattle. Uh, they could use him. I mean, right now you're looking at the Mariners running a platoon in left field with Trammell or Kelnick in there. So why not have Conforto be there? Um, plus, the Mariners need a left-handed bat. I actually wrote at before the end of the season for uh, an article for uh, Pacific Northwest Sports about how Conforto would be the like perfect Mitch Haniger replacement because I wasn't so sure that Haniger would come back after this season or anything like that. So I mean, I kind of want to you know have him have my shot get called here by you know Depoto making that come true. But um, I, I do think he makes a lot of sense to be in Seattle. He's got it would be a less pressure market for him to regain his his value, and he can produce there. He can play in front of his home fans, and the team would love him. He could also be the guy in the field, and he could rotate in as well. Because what the Mariners want to do with their DH is they don't want to have a guy that's a set DH player. They want to use that as a spot that they can rotate players through to kind of give them like a half day off here where all they do is just hit. You don't have to play the field or anything like that, but help keep them fresher throughout the course of the season. So I would love for Conforto to go to Pacific Northwest. We, we've we got our judge. You, you can go and take – you can have – I mean, obviously I would want that outfielder because the Yankees are looking for that last fielder, but I would be more than happy for the Mariners. Listen, I'm all for the Mariners and all for your – for you guys in Seattle. So that'd be great for you guys to get that Conforto piece and component, which kind of supplements that Julio dynamic in outfield. So I'm looking forward to where Conforto lands. And I think it's time that we wrap this up. And I'm hoping that over the next few weeks, We'll kind of get into that startup mode as we look towards pitching catchers coming up over very soon, actually. 
So I'm, I'm excited because now we're kind of past that stage between negotiations and after these, there's going to be Michael Waka still needs to be signed, Evaldi needs to be signed, Swanson, and a lot of other guys. But now we're past the first stage. We're past the big signings, and we're past all of the marquee, marquee players on the market. So I'm excited to see what happens. And Alex, it has been great to welcome you onto the show. Chris, you've always been here, so, I mean, it's always great to have you. But just to guys check out Alex on Twitter. He is has actually started up his own baseball website. Go check him out on Twitter at Alex TBPK. He's the founder of Kingdom Prospect on Twitter, Baseball Prospect Kingdom. Also check that out. Give him a shout out. And I hope to see you guys next week. Thank you guys again for joining. And yeah. <laughs>